Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is one that is frequently missing from the subject of discipleship, but it couldn't be more relevant today. Here's the question. How hidden is your faith? Or maybe another way, how prepared are you to follow Jesus, not when it is easy, but when it is hard? We will examine this important attribute of discipleship as we take stock of the need for Jesus' followers to look like Him in contrast with friendship with the world. Thanks for listening. It was two days ago we went uh, camping and I got up early because if you're like me, your back kind of hurts when you're camping and in the evening so not much to do lay there uncomfortable but get up and go for a walk so I went for a walk early in the morning and as I did I reached kind of the edge of the road and there coming right towards me as I was walking towards it was a deer now this deer didn't didn't know I was there but soon found out and uh, you would you probably would imagine as many of you have just spotted deer if you're walking in the woods it scampered as quick as it could but it didn't run all the way away it stopped behind some trees and it hit itself and I wasn't really amazed at how camouflaged a deer can be just in the woods uh, it's fear of me probably because it thought it, you know I could destroy it or it didn't know what I was uh, caused it to run and to hide behind the trees behind the bushes uh, did not have this sense of being out in the freedom and, and in the field um, it was afraid and what did it do when it was afraid it hid. I think that there's a metaphor here for how many Christians live their lives unintentionally sometimes. I think far too long in our world, it's been easy to be a Christian, or at least call yourself a Christian. This was not always the case in our history. From the very beginning, the disciples that followed Jesus were given a warning that they would be hunted persecuted, mistreated because of the name of Jesus Christ. And almost 300 years of oppression over the church caused them to understand the very simple fact that it is not an easy thing to call yourself a Christian. Our word's nothing like that. It's easy for the most part to call yourself a Christian, or at least it has been. Things are changing in our world today. If you were to think back into the 1940s, 50s, even into the 60s where you might be called a Christian, pastors were respected. Churches were a place that were hollowed. This is all changing today. And here's the danger. The danger is that you might have grown up in the faith thinking that I call myself a Christian. And that's an easy thing to do. But now that times are changing, I'm afraid that what we might end up doing is a little bit like that deer. Rather than wanting to be seen as a believer... Rather than be challenged to live out our faith, no matter what the cost, I think what we tend to do is just peer from the bushes and make sure nobody's watching before we feel like living as a Christian, feel like living as a believer. Because we've lived in this world so long and had it easy for so long, once things begin to change, my fear is that the church will continue to hide, not knowing the truth, that it is a costly thing to call yourself a follower a disciple of Jesus. So this is what we're going to look at as quickly as I can this morning. Um, I'm entitling this message that we are treated like him. And to 
We're going to be in John chapter 15, continuing straight on through. Um, to set the context a little bit here, I need to frame up a reality that we've almost been singing about. And, and, and hopefully it's something that's not too unfamiliar um, in your own understanding. And it's the, same, it's the simple truth of this. This world was created by God, but it's being run by an imposter. Could anybody tell me, just shout it out, who's the name of the imposter who sits on the throne? The devil, Satan, very good. Acting like he rules the world, when in fact the world truly belongs to God. Which is why I'm so moved by our missionaries this morning that the work that they're doing is reclaiming that territory that belongs to him. Created by him, for him, to his glory and praise. But it's not used that way today. Jesus stands as one arrested, which is the greatest irony of all history. That you could bind the hands of the creator. And he stands there before Pontius Pilate. You all know the story, right? Here on that crucifixion morning... Pilate comes to him and he asks the question. He says, I hear that you're a king. That's what the people say. Is it true? Jesus' reply to the extent of, in a paraphrase, it it is as you have said. You got to think, Pilate's wheels start turning. This guy's a king. I'm just the governor. If this guy's a king, well, where, where is his kingdom? Where are your your servants? Where's the glory that belongs to a king? And Jesus says, knowing Pilate's misunderstanding, my kingdom is not of this world. For if it were, my servants would have prevented me from ever being arrested. But as it stands, my kingdom is from another place. Now Jesus is the true and rightful king. This is why you and I, we pray, thy will be done on earth. Just as it is. Jesus is the ruler. How very dangerous to feel like we might be posing around, acting big and tough because the teacher left the room, right? When in fact, he is returning. The master, the king, the ruler is one day returning. And yet the world that you're going to leave this place, when you go back home, when you go back into your workplaces and communities, you're going to find that you enter into a world that does not yield To the Spirit of God. Does not confess the name of Jesus Christ or allow the rulership of Jesus to influence the conduct of their behavior. In fact, this is what the Bible says in Ephesians. Paul writes this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Boy, I don't want the church to be afraid. I don't want us to cower like deer who think we have to hide. You serve a king. Though he has not yet come to reclaim that which is his, he's left it to you and I that we would prepare for his return. As Jesus here in our context of John chapter 15 is once more showing his disciples, this is the last time he gets to talk to them, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. He lays down a bunch of principles that we've been studying as to what it means to be a disciple. Um, quiz time. Everybody ready? Here we go. Quiz number one. If you say you love him, you will obey him. That's, that's what a disciple does. If you say you love him, but you don't obey him, you're not a disciple. You're, you're pretending like you're a disciple, but you're not a disciple because those who love him Obey him. Secondly, a disciple will produce fruit, but you cannot produce fruit unless you, what's the word? 
Does anyone remember? Do you remember the tree with the branches? Remember that? Remain in him. Let's say that together. Ready? Remain in him. You cannot produce fruit on your own. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Anyone who remains in me, he says, will produce fruit. All right. Question number three. And this is for those that were in Iron Mountain at our unity service. Jesus says in verse 12, you could cheat if you want to look down. He says, my command is this, that you love who? You love one another as I have loved you. Yeah, the command of love that's given within the family of God is one that's not held to what, what good do I get out of it? How's this going to serve me? It's not also a command that just says, do good to those as you would want them to do unto you. No, Jesus raises it to the third level. You love them the way I loved you. Which means if you get slapped on the cheek, what do you do? You slap them right back. No, that's not what you do. You turn, you turn the other cheek. You, you love those who are your enemies. You pray for those who would persecute you. That is how Jesus says, all men will know that you are my disciples. So this, just as a point of reminder, this is what we're studying. What does it mean to be a disciple? I'm hoping as we have been going through this and as we look into our passage today, even the difficulty of what Jesus has to tell us today will resonate in your heart so that you shake your head like this. Yes, This is what I'm prepared for. This is what I signed up for. This is what I want to do because above all things, I am a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus. That's my hope for us. So with that in mind, that being our context, we're going to have some observations here. If you would turn with me to John chapter 15, I'm going to read through verses 18 through 25. We have just a couple of observations and then we'll wrap up with some application and some questions. So John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen the miracles and yet they've hated both me and my father. But this was to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. So here you go. This is what you all signed up for. All right. To be a Christian means that you are going to follow in the footsteps, footsteps of Jesus. A few things that I want to point out to you. Number one is this. The, the world's concept of you, whether to love you or hate you, is all a question of ownership. That's what it boils down to. Whether the world loves you or whether the world hates you has everything singularly to do with whose name is branded on your heart. 
It makes me think of um, some sports teams that we root for, right? So um, I uh, grew up over in Florence, so who do you suppose I root for? The Lions. Cheesehead. <laughs> blood's yellow, man, right? Uh, Patty, who, who you cheer for? Cleveland. Yeah, because you live in Ohio, right? If you, if you live in Michigan, you're likely someone who cheers for the... The li- Come on, Chris. The Lions, right? Yeah. Think, think about this for a moment. How, how crazy is that? We basically are just cheering for the team that, for where we grew up. That's, that's it. There's, there's not a lot of logic behind it. There's not a lot of, hmm, let, let me get down and actually take a look at which is the team that's most virtuous that I should cheer for today. It's just wherever you grew up. It's this, this idea of ownership, that I'm on the side of wherever I live, wherever I belong. Let me ask you a question. Do you belong in this world? Is that where you belong? Is, is this your home? For the Christian, for the Christ follower, it's, it's not an option. That you and I would think that we can really root for and love the things of this world when in fact this is not our world. This is not our home. Although you again will leave this place to be continually influenced to think that way. I want you to know that the world's response to you, it's a question as to who owns you. Where is your home? Where do you live? Um, There's a great passage here in John chapter 10. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Why? Because the sheep belong to who? They belong to Jesus. The ownership of the sheep is Jesus. And so when the master, the owner says, Come this way, the sheep. Yeah, I know that voice. I'm ready to go. They follow him because they belong to him. Now, if you were a thief, if you were there and you didn't own the sheep and you said, hey, come this way, sheep, and they didn't listen to you, the heart of that individual is hatred to that sheep. And it all boils down to a matter of ownership. Who owns you? If you can see this, look with me back in our passage in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. So there you go. I can't simplify that anymore. The issue of the world's love or hate towards you is a question of ownership. Do you belong to the world or do you not belong to the world? And they will treat you in kind dependent upon whose name is written on your heart. Number two is this. A true disciple is called out of the world. A true disciple is called out Eklagomai is the Greek word here. It means to speak such that you would bring it out. And the, the, the word that's many times commonly used for this, it's a very American word. It's the word election or, or to elect something. Now, if you were going to, if we we're going to have a vote here and you were going to choose this or that, whatever that uh, subject might be, your choice is generally based upon your preference, is it not? You're, you're going to choose Whatever you're going to choose, because you have a desire for it. That's the same word that's used here. The Greek word for Jesus having called you is not God just thinking, yeah, well, I need somebody on my side. Let me pick a couple of these guys. That's not what it was. He chose you because he has a desire and a purpose for you. You are called out of this world. Look with me back into the text again. This is here at the end of verse 19. I'll start at the beginning. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. 
That's why the world hates you. I want to direct your attention back up to verse 16. Lift your eyes back a little bit in the passage. Jesus here in a passage that we didn't study for this morning, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. Let's make sure we get that straight this morning. That the calling here of being a Christ follower is not a matter of you thinking, yeah, what should I do this morning? Ah, maybe I'll follow Jesus today. That's not how it works. No one in the depravity of these wicked hearts has ever the desire to choose God. This is what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 3. There is none who choose Him. There is none who do good. No, not even one. And so how do any of us come to the light then? If we're so in love with the hiding behind the bushes and hiding in behind the trees, how, how do we get there? It's because He chose you. And He called you. He elected you. When I was... Um, when I was in Bible college, I ran for a chaplain of the university. And I was so proud that I was going to win, I didn't even candidate for it. And guess what? The votes were tallied, and guess who won? Not me. <laughs> Did not feel very good. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When, when you have people not voting for you, that doesn't particularly feel good. That's the opposite of what this says here. He called you. He elected you. He voted for you. Not to be stuck in this world, but to be called to a different one. Now, there's a big price tag attached to this. And that's what we're going to get to next. So, um, number three, a true disciple looks like his or her master. I want to direct you to verse 20. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Um, you and I, if we're following after Jesus, and that's what it means to be a disciple, means that you might end up walking down some roads similar to the one that Jesus walked down. Peter teaches us that Jesus left for us an example that you will follow in his footsteps so that when you are abused, when you are ridiculed, you'll do just like he did. Jesus was scorned on the cross. Do you remember the moment? The soldiers are there. They're nailing him to the cross. And Do you remember what he says? Jesus says, you darn people, I prayed to you, and this is how you treat me. Remember, that's what he said? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the example. He's very clear to the disciples here. And I feel like they should lead with this when time to become a Christian class happens. Hey, if you're going to call yourself a disciple, you're likely going to have to follow in the same pattern that Jesus walked. The servant isn't greater than the master. So whatever happened to the master, that's, that's what's going to happen to you. Now, when we were out camping, we got on the ATVs, and we had um, Aaron and Rachel here. So they live in Grand Rapids, so we call them city folk. I don't know if you know that, right? So we, we've got them on the ATVs, and I'm taking them through the trails, right? I mean, we got berry-picking trails, and you know there's picker bushes all around berry-picking trails. And uh, I'm really accustomed to this. I know where the stumps are. I know where the heaps and the turns. And so I'm going through and I got this train of yahoos behind. I'm sorry. I got the, you know, my friends behind me. And um, here's the deal. If they're going to follow me, if they're going to follow me, they're going to have to drive over the same terrain I drive over. Otherwise, they got to just make their own trail, right? Which actually might be even harder. No servant's greater than the master. If you're following after Jesus, that means you're walking in the same footsteps. 
And so this is a, this is a crucial observation. A true disciple is going to look, emulate, model the master. That's what you and I set our sights on. Fourthly is this. Persecution is a guarantee. He says this at the end of verse 20. If they persecuted me, they, what does your Bible say? Will, might, maybe, what's it say? They will persecute you also. And I kind of feel like it means that if you're not receiving persecution, you might be doing the Christian thing a little wrong. Because Jesus here didn't leave it as an option like a maybe. It's a will. This is what will happen. I remember not too long ago, I was talking with a fellow on the phone and just explaining the message of the gospel very simply. And he said to me, man, you're making me feel like a sinner. (laughs) It's kind of my job. (laughs) But he didn't want anything to do with the gospel. He he didn't really want it. So how, how did he respond to me? Was he interested in the message or would he rather just write me off? I don't want to vote for that guy. Right? There's going to be a rejection that comes to you if you are living and following after Jesus. Persecution is not an option. It's a guarantee. Two reasons why. I want to very quickly just look at this. Number one, persecution comes because of a godly witness to the truth. So if you look down into um, verse 21, Jesus says, they will treat you this way because of my name. So you will be persecuted if you live after the name of Jesus, meaning in kind or parallel with his life, a godly witness will produce persecution. Uh, we're, so, we're shown this in Paul's letter to, second, uh, to Timothy, his second letter. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you live your life the way the maker designed your life to be run, people will look at that and say, what? There will be persecution that will come from it. It wasn't too long ago, uh, start of the spring, I took the, my wife's van into the mechanic. Um, bright lights showing up on the dash. All the brake, everything that had to do with the brakes were, were, were lighting up. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. I suspected, uh, Bob, I suspected it was a sensor is what I suspected it was, right? So I brought it into them and, and they, uh, they took a look at it and say, they said, sure enough, uh, we ran the diagnostic. It looks like it's a sensor problem. I said, uh, great, toss a new one in. And then got a phone call a little bit later. You, you like the phone call when your car's done and ready to be picked up. Don't you like that phone call? That one, this phone call. No, I pick up the phone and they said, well, we got some bad news. Uh, we put in the new sensor, but turns out that's not actually the problem. Uh, we traced it all the way back and found a couple other things. In fact, you need a new head gasket and new... Uh, um, oil pan gasket and you need a new valve cover and rotors and shoes and socks and underwear and, um, just boy that bill now what do you think my response was to the mechanic happier happier a little upset what do you what do you think was he lying to me Th- those were legit problems right Th- this was this was this was the evidence of it's the truth like he says, here's the truth, right? I don't want to hear the truth. I don't want to pay that. I, I want, this is what I want. I want things to go my way. Don't tell me these problems are really there. It'd be as foolish as somebody uh, going to the doctor, right? And the doctor says, man, this is what you've got. You've got this like blood disease. What? No, I don't. I don't want to hear that. 
That's the world's response. And so persecution comes because of a godly witness to the truth, and persecution comes because the world is sin-phobic. You tell the world that they have sinned, they do not want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. This is what Jesus says as he's talking, actually with his brothers in John chapter 7. He says, the world can't hate you. His brothers aren't interested in serving God the way Jesus is. But it, watch this, it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. If Jesus came and just was like, y'all do you, that's fine. If you feel good, do it, right? If Jesus said that, what would the world say? Oh, we love this guy. Yeah, listen to him every day. Yeah, that's not what Jesus did, though. That's not what he came to say. In fact, if you go back to our text here in John 15, look what he says, verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. They knew they were sinning. Jesus showed them that there was sin there. Look, here's the problem with your engine. And what do they do? They hate him for it. Jesus lives a godly life. What is he called? John chapter 14. The way, the truth, and the life. And what does the world do with the truth? They kill him. They murder him. I want you to see that persecution comes by a witness to the truth. And persecution comes because the world, it's sin-phobic. Doesn't want to hear it. I I have no interest in hearing about my sin. Imagine if the mechanic said this to me, though. He said, the bill is going to be more than the car is worth. But let me make a deal with you. I will pay for it. I will fix everything. This car will run the way it was made to run. All you need to do is sign the title over to me. You can still drive it. You park it. You fill the gas up. It's your car to use. But it now belongs to me. Or imagine if the doctor said, the blood disease that you've got, we've got a cure for it. But you need a full blood transfusion. And another's going to give of their blood so that you can live. Both of these cases are illustrations of what the gospel is to us. You and I are not allowed to have one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus and thinking that this is what it means to be a disciple. You're, he says, follow me. This is what you're going to look like. I'm stuck over here. You won't be able to do it because a disciple knows I'm not any greater than my master. I need to look like my master. And if they persecute him, they're going to persecute me. And I need to be prepared for that. So this is my hope, to prepare you for it. In effort to do that, I want to ask you just some very brief questions as we wrap up this morning. My first is to those of you who think you are true disciples. So if you are a true disciple this morning, Here's my question. What evidence is there in your life that you are? Imagine you got arrested for being a Christian. Is there enough evidence to convict you? What do you think? If they came in here and said, you're a Christian? All right, well, arrest this guy. Innocent until proven guilty, right? If they go and they look at your Bible, look at your home, look at your life, is there evidence to show that you are indeed a Christ follower? My hope is that it would be overwhelming to say guilty is, I was going to say sin, but that mixed metaphor there, I probably should come up with a different one. Um, Imagine if I were to ask you maybe a little more applicational question to, to picture this. Is there enough evidence that someone here could convict you that you're in love with your spouse? I said that to somebody, and uh, he said, in love with my spouse? We got married. What do you mean? <laughs> Bingo! That's the guy I'm preaching to here. Yeah. Look, are you, 
You love Jesus? You're, you're in love with Jesus? He says, if you love me, you will... Oh, quiz time. If you love me, you'll obey me. You're not going to produce fruit unless you remain in him. And the way this looks inside the church is love each other as I have loved you. And then be prepared because as you get outside the church, you're going to find forgiveness here. I was going to say, gosh darn it, but that's a, that's a, I can say, gosh darn it, you should find forgiveness here. You won't find it out there. Don't hold grudges against one another. Forgive each other. This is what it looks like. Now you want to find grudges and unforgiveness? That's where you go. And be ready for it. Be prepared for it. Don't be like the deer hiding. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, they, they were supposed to obey God. They wanted to go their own way. God finds out about it. And as God shows up, what do they do? Don't be like that. Jesus warned us. If you were arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence? Don't hide your faith. Don't live like a Christian afraid that, well, somebody might, I might offend somebody. You, look, you will offend somebody. That's the whole point of it. That, that in our world today is the, the gravest sin you could do. I'm offended by that. Well, duh, it's the gospel. This is what it does. It offends people who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. Because of that, don't hide. Be sensitive. Be willing to wrestle with those who are seeking. Be patient with those who hate you. Be ready to turn the other cheek. Pray for those who would mistreat you. But don't hide. Now, if that's you, I'm hoping that you're doing one of these. Yep, I'm tracking. I'm not. That's, that is the life that I want to live. But if you're not a disciple, or if you think you might be like, a, like one of those dead branches that's just playing like you're a disciple, here, here's the question I have for you. When, how, how do you feel when I say the phrase, you are guilty of sin and you deserve death and hell? How does that hit your heart? Does that offend you? Or does that just say, that's true? Because if you say, no, it is true, I am a sinner and I do deserve that, then you are right near the foot of the cross to come and find grace. The great mechanic, the maker of it all, he says, let me fix that busted up vehicle that keeps breaking down on you. I want you to do one thing, though. I want you to sign the title over to me. I own it now. I'll let you keep it and run it and you can use it, but you're going to use it how I say after this. That will make you a true disciple and a follower. I want to ask a couple of questions that we can just evaluate very finely here. The question of loves, right? So if I were to ask you, what's the most valuable thing in you, you have in your life? Most valuable thing you have. I suspect most of us would say family, right? Anybody with me on that? Most valuable thing is my, my kids, my wife, my family. I'd do anything, right? Okay, after that, what's the most valuable thing that you've got? I, I suspect the older among us might say time. Look, time is ticking along here, right? And so we can't get any more of it. It's a very valuable thing. Family's valuable. Time's valuable. How about money in the bank? You're willing to just give it all up? Nah, I work hard for that. That's third most valuable. And the fourth thing I'll put here is maybe your own person, my own self. In that order, if you have the sermon notes, I want you to just try something for me real quick. Go ahead and pull these out. Right at the very bottom here is another little church quiz for you. I wanted you to ask the question, in regards to family, how would the world answer the question? I lead my family to Jesus as number one importance. Does the world do that? Is the world interested in leading their family to Jesus? 
No. So check the no box. How about the world for the use of time? Does the world say, I use my time to serve Jesus? Yes or no? You guys can answer a little louder. Yes or no? No. Uh, Money. Uh, Does the world say, I use my money to serve Jesus? Yes or no? No. All right. And how about them uh, as a person? Does the world say, I'm in the habit of denying myself for Jesus? Yes or no? No. All right. I think that's a pretty clear end here for us to answer for the world. Many of us come from that region. All of us lived there at one time. Following who? Remember the passage from Ephesians? The false imposter who's posing on the throne like he's in charge. This is my father's world. This ain't his world. We're going to reclaim territory for him. My question for you is how do you answer these questions? When it comes to you and your family, do you serve Jesus? Bring them, lead them to Jesus as the first importance. When it comes to your time, do you give of that valuable, non-replenishable resource of your time for Jesus? How about your money? Do you use your money to leverage it, that God would continue to produce more in your life to use as a harvest for him? And when it comes to your own self, are you willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him? How would you answer those questions? Because this is where I think it really gets down to the matter. If you and I can't answer that there's a difference between us and the world, boy, I'm, I'm really nervous then for John chapter 15, verse 12 through 25. Because Jesus says, my sheep follow me. They belong to me. Jesus says, I chose you out of the world. And you would go and produce fruit. Let's pray.